Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback, and if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. But you know, the goal of school isn't to get kids to memorize things alone. It's to teach them how to learn, teach them how to expand their knowledge, understand the processes of this world, understand how they can be productive uh, in this world. And so I think it's very important for us as believers. If you're a believer in Christ today, uh, we're going to be challenged to live out our faith. If you're not a believer, I'm so glad you're here. You are welcome here. We love that you're here. You're going to hear what it means to be a believer. You're going to hear about what it is to be a follower of Christ. And so there is so much to that, so many things that God reveals uh, through his word and so many things that we can learn and grow in. I love looking at science. I love looking at how God has orchestrated this complex universe. If you've been here before, you know that sometimes I dive into these things. I don't claim to be a scholar, um, but I love it. And there's things I learned that I want people to know, and I love sharing. And so this morning, as we look into uh, Romans chapter 1, we're going to see that God has revealed to the world himself through his creation. That he's revealed himself by, by the complexity, by the power, and by the uniqueness of the world. And so here's a little picture. Uh, if you had science class It'd be talking about all the atmospheres, that we have these seven atmospheres that we know of. There's actually quite a few. They allow for gravity to work properly, for oxygen to work properly, for all these different things to work properly. And as science has studied the earth, we've realized how magnificent and unique and complex this globe that we live on is. So I have a globe here. If you can see it. Um, it's really amazing to consider that when we look at the universe, we recognize, especially with the, the telescopes that have gone out in this outer space, how immense the universe is. That there are billions upon billions of stars. Um, there are billions of galaxies. Um, it is an immense universe that we really can't comprehend. But as we study the planet Earth, we recognize that there are unique things that allow life to be on Earth. And as scientists have studied, now there's a lot of controversy about this, and there's different perspectives. But there is no denying the complexity of the earth. There's no denying the fact that if we were any closer to the sun, there would be no life on earth. And I'm not talking about thousands of miles. I'm talking about points of a percentage being closer to the sun. If we are further from the sun, there would be no life on earth. If we weren't at a 23 degree axis and where our tides were different, there would be no life on earth. Did you know that the, the makeup of the earth is, is so perfectly organized the amount of water to land, the amount of mass that makes up the earth, that when the heat from the sun hits the earth, that the oceans absorb that heat. And the oceans are like great, large air conditioners. And what they do is absorb the heat. They actually absorb heat better than metal absorbs heat. They absorb the heat, and then at night, they release that heat back out to maintain a constant temperature here on earth. If water did not do this, if the water of the earth did not do this, we would not be alive. There would be no earth. There would be no life on earth. Same way, the oxygen allows the, allows the, the, the heat to travel through it, but it retains the heat to maintain the temperature well as well. But it rises instead of maintaining it at a lower level. And because it has been created this way, there is life on earth. And as you look at every ecosystem and every system within the world, you see complexity. 
But not just not complexity that's just random, but complexity that says without it this way, there is no life on earth. We know that there are at least 200 unique aspects of earth that allow for life to exist here, that make it almost impossible for it to randomly happen anywhere else. That there is actually a negative percent chance of life existing anywhere else in the universe because of how specific these things are that allow even the smallest of microbes to survive. And so when we look at this, we see if, if, if the Bible is true and if God is there revealing himself through his creation, we're seeing a complexity that is beyond our ability to truly understand. And this morning as we come to that, we need to recognize that God created us. We are part of this created universe, that he has purposes and plans specifically for you and me, and that as we look at the world, what do we see? We see a complex, beautiful world, but it's extremely broken. Would you agree? I feel broken this morning. <laughs> We're broken, aren't we? There is hatred. Why do you have locks on your doors? Why do we have police officers? When you turn on the news, how does it make you smile or cry? <laughs> right? The reality is we live in a very, very broken world because sin, the disease of sin, the consequence of sin has completely distorted the perfection that God has called into existence. And so this morning, this is information that many people do not know. There are many people think that this is all random, that it just, you give it enough time, you give it enough space, something's going to happen, and boom, you exist. And they don't recognize that God, in his infinite wisdom, determined that we would exist. And he absolutely planned us down to the very uh, microbe of who we are, the very atom of what we are. He has planned it out without any confusion, without any distortion. The thing that has confused and distorted everyone, and the reason we have all these issues in our country, we have all these issues in our neighborhood, we have all these issues at work, we have all these issues in our families, is because sin has distorted it. And so this morning, if we start at that base, if we start as that our foundation, we begin to understand the importance of our mission. The mission is to declare the bad news so we can declare the good news so people can come to know God as their personal Savior through Christ. One of the things that I struggle with, and maybe you struggle with too, is I like to be liked. How many of you like to be liked? How many of you would rather avoid the tough conversations, put it off, how many of you would uh, put up with all the consequences without really dealing with the issues, right? Isn't that common for us? Isn't that part of our lostness and our brokenness? We'd rather let the brokenness exist than confronting it and trying to bring healing to it. But you know, one of the things I struggle with as a pastor, and I think the church has really struggled with over the last 20 or 30 years, is we don't want to give any bad news, we don't want to tell anyone that things are broken. We don't want to tell things are wrong. We don't really want to declare that until you understand we are separated from God by sin, and sin is the distortion, sin is the problem, sin is the mess, and God will not, not avoid dealing with that sin. God will judge it. God has to judge it. That's his nature, his perfection. But the challenge I have, and maybe the challenge you have, and if you could go to the next slide, is sometimes we can be like the mailman, all right? And, oh, uh, Bill's getting a bill today. <laughs> and if he opens this bill, it's not going to make him happy. 
Uh, oh, there's a doctor's report on some of the, the blood work, and I looked at it. It doesn't look so good, right? What would you say about a, a postman, a postal worker, that went through your mail and determined what would make you happy and what would not make you happy and chose to not deliver you the mail that didn't make you happy? You'd be pretty upset if you found out about that, wouldn't you? How many of you would be upset if that happened? Because one day, and we don't know when, all those things are going to affect them. One day, the bad report is going to get to them. One day, the sickness is going to catch up. The financial issue is going to catch up. Whatever that bad news is, is going to impact their life. Some of it worse than others, correct? And as a Bible-believing, Christ-centered, spirit-led church, if we do not share, if we hold back the bad news to the world that God is coming to judge, that God is coming to make things right, that there is an absolute end to this as world as we know it, and that he's going to start new with his new heaven and his new earth, if we don't bring that news, yes, it's bad, to the world, we're like this postman. That we just want people to smile today and be unaware. That as long as it doesn't affect them and they still like me and they still think I'm a nice person and they still want to be around me, that's all that really matters. And that brings us right back to the sin of pride. And I'm not really worried about what God feels or God thinks or God wants me to do. I'm more concerned about making people like me. And I believe we have to confront that within ourselves. How do we lovingly share the bad news? Because if we don't, we are worse than the unbeliever in some ways. To know the truth, know that the truth is the only way that could set someone free, and not to share that truth is one of the greatest evils that we can perpetrate in life. And I know that's harsh and it's hard, but if this is true, then that is true. So this morning, we're going to look at that. We're going to dive into how should a Jesus follower respond to a rebellious world? Because here's the reality. God created all this very unique, very complex, with a purpose. Everything in life has a purpose. Your relationships, what you do with your time, your energy, your finances, all of those align exactly the same way that the universe has been built with a complexity and an organization with a purpose. We have a purpose. And if we avoid the creator's purpose for our life, there's only one destination. There's only one outcome. It's death. It's death. And so this morning, that death we would call rebellion, rebelling against the creator's purpose for our lives, rebelling against the holiness and the justice and the awe and wonder of our God to pursue our own path, right? And that is the temptation of our day, is it not? If you watch television, if you're on your phone, if you're on any of the social medias, there's constantly telling you it's about you and you building your own universe, your own life, who you are, and it how many commercials have you said, this is what God wants you to have? <laughs> no, it's man-based, right? And we have the responsibility as church to go out in the world and lovingly say it's not man-based. It's God-based. You exist for his glory, not for your own. And so this is the message that we've been called to give. As we look to his word, let's precede it with prayer. Ask God to give us wisdom and understanding as we follow his path today. Father God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the universe, the gravity that holds us to this rock. 
Uh, Lord, just as, as the scientists are discovering the immensity and complexity of this world, how, Lord, you have created it perfectly so that uh, meteors aren't hitting us, uh, radiation isn't killing us, uh, all of these things that could wipe us out in an instant, you are protecting us at all times. You are telling our hearts to beat. You are telling our internal organs how to operate. You are the author and creator of all things, and we give you glory and praise today. And this is our time, Lord, we set apart as a family to come together to say, praise God, thank you, Jesus. And Lord, as we come to this time and we celebrate who you are, help us now to hear your words, that they would impact our hearts, they would impact our minds, and that both of those would help us to live our faith out. Lord, we need your help, we need your guidance, we need the assurance, we need the peace, and Lord, we need the words to say to lovingly point people in your direction. We thank you for who you are and what you're going to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue down uh, the, the realities of, of Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. And uh, we'll be getting in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have to get you one. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, but as we look at it, we see that throughout God's revelation, which would be the revelation of God's word, that sin has distorted everything. If you go back to Genesis, uh, it went from eating a fruit they were told not to, to a brother killing a brother, to everyone on the earth, all of their thoughts were evil continuously. That's a pretty fast escalation, isn't it? Um, sin distorts. Sin has made a, an immense impact. None of us have ever known life without sin. We've never understood life without sin. We've never experienced a single moment without sin interrupting in some way or another. And so God's revelation is that he's not going to let that go on forever. He's not going to say, hey, let's just put it under the rug. Let's, let's sweep it under the rug and not worry about it. God is going to deal with sin because sin is a distortion of his creative purpose. God did not create you to lie, but you have the capacity to lie. He did not create you to steal, but you have the capacity to You even have the orientation through your nature to sin, steal. You feel like stealing. You feel like lying. You feel like all of these sins. If, the, if there weren't a feeling that we had, we wouldn't have, it wouldn't be so tough to deal with them, wouldn't it? And so we see that God has to deal with the brokenness and messiness of this world. And he's revealed through his word how he plans on doing this. He has not hidden his plan. He has made a revelation, and it is the most uh, notarized and most produced book in the history of the world by far. There are billions and billions of Bibles in the world. If you go online, the Bible is the most uh, Google thing. All of the information is here. But it's only information out there if we don't absorb it into our lives, if we don't consider it and then apply it. And so God teaches us that he hates pride, and that's probably the number one sin he hates more than anything else. And so as we look at Romans chapter 1, we're going to see two types of people. Next week, we're going to deal uh, with the legalist, the self-righteous, right? And I think that's probably where in church, if, how many of you grew up in church? You, you know, you are Sunday school, 100% attendance. You know backwards and forwards all the Bible teachings. Th that area is probably going to be where we need to talk, right? Because it's easy in the church to become self-righteous and look at the rest of the world and say, you're horrible, you're hideous, I'm wonderful, I'm amazing, how lucky I am to be me and how horrible it is to be you, right? That is what we're going to see next week. But this week, Paul, as he's declaring his, his message to the Roman church, he's saying, I'm dealing with the rebel. 
I'm dealing with the person that said, God is not for me. I don't have any desire to be here. I have my own life to live. I want to do my own thing, and I don't want to have anything to do with the things of God, and I'm going to resist him at all costs, and I'm going to rebel against the God of the universe. And so today we're looking at the rebel, right? The rebel. Maybe you were a rebel. Maybe you are a rebel. Maybe you know a rebel, but we're all in this world together. And you know what we or you cannot do? You cannot maliciously hate a rebel. That's part of following Christ. If you want to be a Christian, you have to love the rebel. And if you are a rebel, you have to repent of being a rebel. And so this morning, as we look at this, that we need to have that scope, that there are the two types of, of, of issues that are going to be brought to us here in the beginning of the Romans. The self-righteous, the one who feels that their righteousness, their goodness is what's made them better than everybody else, and they judge everyone and, and make everyone feel horrible. Or the rebel who says, I don't, I don't have any time for God. I have nothing interested in God. I'm actually going to do the opposite of what you tell me God is about, right? And so we begin, verse 18, here's what it reads. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what, they may, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so the people are without excuse." Now think about this, Paul is, is speaking to the Roman church who still believe in Zeus, right? Many of the people in his world, they had uh, idols and altars and places of worship for false gods that the idea of a monotheistic one God who created everything and that there's a complexity and a uniqueness to the world would not have been known to them. And yet Paul still says the creation reveals God's nature, the creation reveals that there is a God who is immense and powerful, and you cannot deny it. You can't get around it. It's just, there's no other answer than for a divine God to have created all that we see and are part of. And so the question becomes, as we look at this first part of Romans 1.18, what is God's wrath, and why is it being poured out? How many of you are excited to hear about God's wrath this morning? <laughs> right? Uh, some. Okay, good. Why don't we like God's wrath? Because it doesn't really go along with our God is love, God is peaceful, God is kind, God is patient. The wrathful judge part of God is the part of God that a lot of people say, eh, hey, it's not for me. But the reality is, if we were all to be spirit-led and to really say, God, teach me what this means... I think he would show all of us he can't be loving without being pure and holy and just. There is no such thing as absolute love without justice. And the way that I consider it is as if you had a disease like a tumor and he's not going to allow that tumor to keep growing on you. That sinful tumor has to be dealt with. Before you come home, he's going to deal with that tumor because in his home, tumors aren't allowed, right? 
And some of us can lean into the tumor and say, well, I'm comfortable with the tumor, and I like the tumor, and the tumor gives me value and identity, and so I'm just going to lean into that. And his wrath will be against the tumor, but if you decide to join yourself with the tumor of sin, the wrath will be against you as well. Do you realize the Bible is very clear? God says, I desire that none should perish, but all should come to eternal life. God does not desire to judge you with the sin that lives within you. But if you hold on to that sin and desire it more than him, then he will judge the sin with you along with it. And that is pure justice. That, and, and whether we recognize it or not, that's what we all want. We want a holy, just God that we can trust. We want a holy, just God that his home is perfect. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more feeling sick. <laughs> Because he's holy and just, and he created a universe that way. He allowed sin in, but only for a little while, and he's going to deal with sin. And it is going to be strict and strong and wrathful, right? And as, as bad as a lightning bolt is or a hurricane, they are nothing. Nothing compared to what he's going to do to sin. What he's already done to sin on the cross. They're nothing. They don't, nothing. The power that you've, any power that you have observed in your life isn't even close to which power God will deal with this because he will not allow it to survive in his kingdom. And so there is a wrath that will be poured out. I think it's an interesting illustration of, of being poured out. How do you clean most things? You have to pour detergent. You have to pour water. You have to do something that pushes that out of the way and cleanses every little crack and nook and cranny that there is, right? You know, a lot of times we'll say, God, can you deal with this one sin? But I like these sins back here, so don't look at them, <laughs> right? And he's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm coming for all of it. The holy water, the holiness of myself, my spirit is going to uh, penetrate every part of your soul. And I'm going to clean the entire thing. And it is my righteousness, it's my goodness that I'm going to replace your messy sin with. And so is God's wrath something that's easy for us to accept? No. Is it true? Yes. Is it something we need to share with a world that doesn't know about it? Is it something that people in the world need to hear about it? Because right now, what are we hearing? Oh, there's nuclear weapons. Oh, there's, there's microscopic bacterial viruses that could kill us all. Any kind of bad news, we're hearing about it, right? It's the first thing on all your social media. Well, this is the next thing that's going to kill us, and this is the next thing. Well, maybe people need to know that there's something greater than all of those things. How many people in our world that know so much about so many things don't know that there is a wrathful judgment coming? They have no idea. That seems unloving, unkind, because they've never been shared what it really means. And so this is our, our task. This is our responsibility, because this is what comes of not sharing. You want to see the world that, that becomes when people say, I will rebel against God and I will create my own. This is the world that man creates. Paul reveals it to us. If you go to verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. So they resisted him, they rebelled against him, they said, we don't have anything to do with you. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, 
and exchange the glory of the immortal God with images made to look like mortal humans, being, beings and birds and animals and reptiles. What you're going to see Paul reveals to us is when they reject the holy God, it only goes down from there, right? It goes from the glory of God to birds in the sky to animals to reptiles, right? It descends. It de-evolves, right? If you were a scientist and you wanted to prove something to me, I would much more take devolution because I see things getting worse, <laughs> Because we see this decline. The further you get from God, the further you get from truth, the further you get from joy, the further you get from peace. And the more you try to control those things and say, I can, I can bring peace to myself without God. I can bring understanding God to my life without God. I don't need God. The more anxiety, stress, uh, just upside down life yours will become. And our nation will become. And so what is at the core of the problem? Think about this. What is at the core of the problem? The core of the problem is that they neither gave thanks nor glorified God. If I could give you two tools to your life, if you could give two tools to everyone you love in your life, these two tools would revolutionize their lives. Learning to glorify God with your life and giving thanks to God daily would revolutionize you, would revolutionize everyone you know. Glorifying God, say, God, your glory today. Everything I do from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed is for your glory. How I talk to my wife, how I talk to my kids, how I do my business dealings, how I live within my culture, how I go to work, how I uh, deal with my neighbors, all of those things. If I said, I do all of that for your glory, revolutionize your life. And then we're good at asking God, like, God, fix this. You know, this past week, there was a football game on Monday. And the football player was knocked out and had to go to the hospital very severe. And a lot of people were asking for God to heal him. On national television, they're asking for God to heal him. Because we recognize when everything is lost, there's only one other place we can go. The problem, and the problem we all frustrated, the problem we all struggle with, is we ask, but we don't say thank you when he does it. We don't come back around and say, you did it. You answered you responded. Praise God that this, this young man now has no longer a, a tube in his, in his mouth and he can speak directly. I say thank you, God, for that. Because people asked and you responded. Now, we can't control how God responds to every prayer, but we should always say thank you no matter how he responds. Because here, rebellion, rebellion is saying, I know better than God. I have a better way than God. I have a better understanding than God. And I don't need to be thankful or glorifying to him. I will thank myself, and I will glorify myself. And that will lead me and guide me. And so this is a great challenge, isn't it? It's an issue that everyone in our world deals with. And at the core of the problem, it's an issue of who's being glorified and who is being thanked. Think about your life. Who is being glorified and who is being thanked? Who do you glorify with your words? Who do you glorify with your actions? Who do you glorify with all the things that you've made up in your life? And who do you give thanks for at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of that trial, the end of that success? And here's where it plummets even further. This is where we see God says, if this is what you want, then I will I will answer your request and give you what you want. 
Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires for their hearts, to sexual impurity, for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with one another and received in them the due penalty for their error. So as we read this, obviously, this is pretty relevant the question becomes, what does it mean that God gave them over to it? Do you realize if you ask God long enough or you tell God long enough, he'll say, okay. God, I don't want you in our country. I don't want you in my house. I don't want you on my television. I don't want you in my, in my phone. I don't want you anywhere. I don't want you near me. I don't want to hear about you. I don't want to know you exist. I don't have anything to do with you. And he says, all right. I'll leave you alone. I'll leave you alone. And you become a planet without an orbit. You become a planet without a sun. You become a planet without gravity. And yeah, it happens slowly, but it escalates quickly. <laughs> and pretty soon, you're frustrated. Pretty soon, what you thought was right, you don't even know what's right anymore. What you thought is wrong, you don't know what's wrong anymore. You begin to do what you see everyone else doing. You become part of the nation of this world. You become man-centric. And you are as far away from God as you could ever be. And it is not loving for me to tell anyone. Listen, the most important thing for someone in life is to identify with Christ. I, it doesn't, I would love to be a six-foot-six, I-can-jump-out-the-gym, awesome athlete. And I'll tell you, that's what I am. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that's not what I am. <laughs> as much as I want it, as much as in my world, in Mike's world, where Mike's God, that's what it would be. But that's Mike's planet. And that's Mike's going in his direction. And God's saying, if you really want that, I'll give it to you. But it's not real. <laughs> and it's only going to lead to death. And one day, if you hold on to your sin, if you hold on to your self-identified, this is what I am, and I don't care what God says. I'm going to be this no matter what. The more you hold on to it, when God's wrath comes to judge sin, he will be forced to judge the sin with you. You see, the beauty of it is we all have sin. We're carrying that sin. We try to repent of that sin. But one day we're going to stand before the judge, and when he looks at us to determine whether we are allowed into his holy place, It'll be because Christ paid for our sin, and he took that which was upon us. And I'm not clinging to my sin. I'm clinging to Christ. I'm not clinging to the things that, that have manipulated and messed my life up. I'm, claim, I'm committed to the cross. That is what Christianity is. I was lost in my sin. I was separated from the God who created me, who loves me. And it was by his grace that he gave me a way to return to the rightful place. But if I decide that I prefer the darkness over the light, if I decide that I prefer my mess and my disease over the answer and the purification, then when judgment comes, I will have the same destiny as my darkness and as my sin. 
And God does not show love or, uh, or favoritism to that end for any of us. He desires it for none of us. But he allows us to make that decision. And we live in a world, we live in a world that says this isn't true. We live in a world that says everything that Paul says here is distorted and wrong. And so that puts us at a place of challenge. What will we do? What will the church do? Will we be the mailman that says, I don't, you don't need to know this bad news. You don't need to hear about this until it happens, until you meet your end. Then you'll find out. Then you'll learn about this. You see, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much people are not going to like it, we still have a responsibility to lovingly share this message. And next week we'll talk about how we can do this unlovingly because <laughs> there is a lot of ways to do it the wrong way. But there is a right way to share that we are lost and judge, judgment is coming for our sin. And it is a beautiful thing that there is no differentiate between old and young, rich and poor. It doesn't matter what you've believed. Uh, I look at Abraham, he was a pagan for 75 years of his life. He did not believe in the one true God for the vast majority of his life. And yet he is the one that we look to for faith. Because it's not about what you used to believe, it's what you believe now. And my encouragement for you is that you don't exist just for you. Did you know that? You weren't put on planet Earth just for you. You were put on Earth because of your nephew, your niece, your aunt, your uncle, for you to be a loving voice into their lives sharing this truth. And that you plant that seed and say, I love you too much not to tell you this. I, want the, I don't want good for you. I don't want okay for you. I want the best. And the best is having a right relationship with God. There is no better than being saved. There is no above or going to make your life more fulfilled. You're going to feel more victory other than in Christ. So this is what we must offer. And this must be our heart. That we do not go out with the heart of judgment, but with the heart of salvation. The heart of the cure is here, and you can have it. And it doesn't matter any of these other things. It just matters will you confess and believe Christ is your Savior. See, the, the thing that Paul reveals later to the Corinth church, and that we all need to recognize if you turn over to 1 Corinthians 6.11, he goes through this same list of sin that distort us and break us and, and really make our minds futile and dysfunctional. He says, this is what he says about those that were living like that in 1 Corinthians 6.11, and that was some of you. Some of you were like this. But he says this, listen, this is so awesome. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Did you get that? You were washed from your sin. Your sin is no more. The Lord says that he is cast as far as the east is from the west. You are no longer guilty of sin before a holy God. You are no longer going to be judged with your sin. Do you know how awesome that is that you are no longer going to be judged the same way your sin is judged? That you have been set free. It has been disconnected from your being and you no longer are accountable for it. By Christ. You are set apart from the world. That Yes, this is a message the world is not going to like. But we love them too much not to tell them. We care about them too much not to say something. 
We care too much not to live with this as our reality. You've been made right with God. You and I have been made right with God. If you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior, you have been made right with God. It is only because of Jesus that this is possible. It is not my good works. It's not who I am. It's not something special about me, and it's nothing special about any of us. It's the special one who came and lived the perfect life, died on a cross, rose again, and offers you and me this cleansing of sin, this cleaning of our sin from us. This is available to everyone that you know. Did you know that? Listen, <laughs> sometimes you got to lovingly share this and pick the right moments and let the Holy Spirit tell you when to talk. But I've tell, I can tell you, being in the ministry, I have, I have met so many people who said, my grandmother, my mother, my brother, my uncle, they lovingly showed me. They didn't just say it, they lived it. But they were always there at the right time to share the right thing. Even though I hated hearing it, I told them I hated it here. I told them I hated them because they said it to me. But years later, the Spirit brought it back to me, and it transformed my life when I gave my heart and life to Christ. You see, we can't expect for them to receive it instantly and change. <laughs> you can't expect that within yourself. It is something that God does through his Holy Spirit. And it's not up to us how it works. It's not up to us the timing of it all. It is only up to me when the Holy Spirit says, Mike, say something now. What will I do? Mike, this is what I put you in this position to do. This is why this conversation came up. This is why you're talking about this right now. Sc scatter the seed. Share the truth. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid that they won't like you. Don't be afraid that they'll reject you. Because even in that moment, if they reject you in that moment, it's okay. Because you know who they rejected more than anyone else was Christ. And some of those that rejected him and spit at him and said, crucify him, went to the cross, watched him, mocked him on the cross, a lot of those, we have to understand, became the church. They became the church later. They became, you are the reason I exist. You are the hope of my life. You are the God that came to earth to die for my sins. But they mocked and ridiculed and scorned him before his death. And so we don't know the story of someone else. We only know, what is God calling me to do today? What is he asking of me? And so here's my application this morning as we close. Consider if you have a rebellious spirit and confess it to God. Do you know, even as Christians, we can get into a rebellious spirit. We can hold grudges. We can let bitterness get into our life. We can start gossiping. There's a lot of sins that can still penetrate our hearts and lives, even when you're a follower of Christ. And that is rebellion. Anything against God's will and nature is rebellion and sin. And so we all should live lives of confession. God, please help me to overcome this. Take, search me and try me. See if there's anything wicked within me so that it may be purified and clean from me. Ask God to give you compassion and influence for those who are living in rebellion. In my life, my two older brothers that I love desperately and dearly were probably the worst people. <laughs> they were very bad. And I was a pastor's kid. We're the pastors. So let me give you an idea of what this looked like. My brothers went to Penn State. My dad was the campus pastor at Penn State. In the Penn State uh, news, they'd have a newspaper for the school. There's an article about local pastor on campus doing all these great ministries. Underneath him, pastor's son gets in bar fight. <laughs> all right? We had a, a diverse family. And my brothers went as far away from God as you can go, but today love God as much as I know anyone else loves God. Because we all have a different journey. We all have a different path. And the, and the most important for me as a Christian is to believe that at some point that person is going to come to the Lord. 
At some point in their life, they're going to they're gonna hear from the Holy Spirit, they're going to repent and believe. And that means I have to have compassion, not judgment. And I need influence not to build a wall for those who are living in rebellion. I want the person who's living in rebellion at the, the worst point in their life to feel like they can come to me and share with me so I can pray with them. Yeah. Not say, well, he's going to judge me, turn me away, and tell me how horrible I am. See, this is so important for us. This is the part we have to lean into, that we have to love a rebellious world, that we have to be patient with a rebellious world, that we can't pick topics and say, this is the worst thing ever, and if you're doing this, you're not worthy of life. We've got to say, look, we are all part of this, and it's only by his grace have any of us been saved to have hope. And then finally, I would ask you, Pray for and show love to those who are living in rebellion and pray for repentance and revival in your home, in your community, in our state, and in our nation, and then globally. We have a responsibility to use our greatest weapon, which is prayer, and we need to be praying for the rebelliousness of our time, and we need to be praying not for not that they would be judged in this moment, but that they would come to a place of repentance so that judgment will not be harsh. And so that's, our, that's the challenge we have. For 2,023 years after our Lord Jesus Christ was on this earth and all his time is built on him, we get to share the good news, but sometimes we got to start with the bad news so they can know the hope that's available to everyone. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because of this, with one believes the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth and results in salvation. What is the Lord saying to you right now? What is he speaking to your heart and to your soul at this moment that you can Organize into a thought and apply to your life. That's why we've gathered. To hear from our Father and then to obey.